According to Webster's Dictionary, the word ghetto means a quarter of a city where Jews were forced to live, or a quarter of a city in which members of a minority group live. Good morning, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. My guest this morning says ghetto is not just a type of neighborhood, but a mindset. Cora Daniels is a resident of the Bedford-Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn and the author of Ghetto Nation, a journey into the land of bling and the home of the shameless. Cora, thanks for coming in. Hi, thanks for having me. You write in the book that of all people, Paris Hilton helped you to come to the realization that ghetto is a mindset. <laughs> How so? Yes, it's 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 pretty amazing that Paris has made me think, but um, I was uh, watching um, her... Uh, her reality show, uh, The Simple Life, this was actually the first season, and this is when they sent um, her and Nicole Richie to, to, a, um, to a farm in, in, in Arkansas, I think it was, and she was trying to start up um, a beat-up um, pickup truck that, that couldn't kick over, she couldn't start it, and, she's, and she goes, oh, goodness, this, this truck is so ghetto. Oh, my God. And and I was sitting I was sitting home in bed sigh <laughs> at the time watching that drivel and it sort of clicked that you know how would she know you know that ghetto had had sort of gone beyond from from where you live but it's how you live um, and it's it's a mindset you are pointing out in this book that ghetto knows no class boundaries it knows no ethnicity boundaries. Exactly. I mean, that's what we're talking about when this is uh, when when something is is mainstream, that it's not um, a class thing and a race thing. And I think that too often folks define it um, in those terms. So when they think of ghetto, you know, they are thinking of behavior. They think that is only poor communities of color. There are several sections of the book where you say that's so ghetto from what we eat to what we say to what we wear to how we spend our money. And here are some examples of that, adding an ED or a T to a word that's already in the past tense, like tooked, taking your cell phone with you and talking on it while you're being examined by a doctor, wearing a do-rag on dress-down day to school or to court, wearing house slippers when you're not in the house. All of these are so ghetto. Reality can be can cannot be the most most pleasant thing. So I can't deny the humor involved as well. But you know, when you're talking about a mindset on, on sort of how you live, there's all sort of dynamics to it. Also, I mean, that we talked about Paris Hilton, but but you even have Martha Stewart on on her show, who proudly boasted one day, uh, you know, when she was cooking Thanksgiving, showing folks how to cook Thanksgiving dinner, that she can get ghetto when she needs to. Um, so, you know, what we're talking about is sort of um, mainstream at the moment. I mean, that's the danger when when a mindset um, that embraces sort of the worst kind of stereotypes that we have to offer gets embraced um, and, and becomes mainstream. We can laugh at some of this, as you say. Yeah, it's yeah. funny to hear Martha Stewart say that she can get ghetto, but there are serious implications of this, and you talk about that in your book. There's a story of a couple of kids who get on a subway and they fake a holdup. This was um, when I was um, on the D train, and there was uh, two little boys who looked you know, about nine. <laughs> They took out a little gun and uh, faked a, a stick up. They started going, you know, 
one, <laughs> this is a stick up. Two, this is a stick up. Three, this is a stick up. And then they started laughing because this was a joke to them. And you have to examine why this um, this would be the behavior that they wanted to imitate for fun rather than the behavior of a car full of commuters coming home from work. This was rush hour. This is the behavior that they're emulating. So this is when this mindset hurts and becomes entrapping. When we pulled into Brooklyn, the conductor had already, you know, notified authorities. So, so uh, cops stormed our our um, subway car and, you know, immediately handcuffed these two little boys. And, and then it became even more apparent how young they really were um, because they started crying. <laughs> they started trying to squirm away. And, you know, when after the, after the, the cops took them off the car, the rest of us in, in the car, all of us who were completely quiet and silent when this was happening, no one bothered to say a word even to chastise these boys because it became obvious that, that this wasn't a, a dangerous situation because they, they tried to do it again when, when no one reacted. Um, one little boy faked a scream. And so, so, you know, some people in our car said, oh, well, they shouldn't have arrested the kid who screamed because he wasn't really doing anything. Oh, they shouldn't have arrested either one of them. And now we were all going back and forth making excuses. And none of us actually said anything before it happened, you know, as it was happening. And that's really when you needed to speak up. And, and that becomes also an indication of how we're each kind of part of creating this situation because our silence is an endorsement. That's the most blatant way each of us can contribute to being ghetto. Are we just getting immune to it? That was one of the inspirations for why I wanted, I mean, the journalist in me wanted to shine the spotlight and, and, and point out these situations that, that are ridiculous, that are, that are outrageous, that are, you know, it's, it's, it's basically um, unacceptable behavior becoming acceptable. And I felt that we had become numb to it. You write about something that's been taking place in California, and these are kids who are now dubbed tennis shoe pimps. Yes, this is because they are about 12 and 13. They don't have a driver's license yet, um, but they are basically selling sex for money. Um, they are pimping out their classmates. Um, these are usually groups of friends working together. These are not kids living out on the street. These are middle class kids out in San Diego. And, you know, when they when when the authorities get involved, you know, their response is basically, well, I didn't do anything really wrong. I, you know, I wasn't selling drugs. Um, so this is a, sort of an example of the decline of, of, you know, that this is not seen as that bad anymore. And, and, and you know, why should it? I mean, we're, we're, we're living in a society now where, you know, we have uh, stars on, on the red carpet who gush and say, you know, that, that every woman needs to learn how to pole dance. Uh, you know, I, I, God forbid my daughter learns how to pole dance. Uh, you know, there was a company out in Britain, actually, who uh, took it to the next capitalist uh, uh, level, and they they had pole dancing kits, which were um, uh, poles that were about three feet high, little miniature garters, play money. And you ask why were the poles three feet high is because they were selling the kits in the toy section. I don't think I'm too tightly wound. <laughs> you know, I think that we have to t take a step back and examine where we are. And, and, and some of this is just not, it's not okay. It's not okay to aim so, so low. Even JCPenney, you point out... <laughs> has put out ads featuring white kids being ghetto. This was their back-to-school um, uh, back sales, and, and so they had these kids gyrating on screen to, to, to Babies Got Back, which, is, which was, you know, um, a popular you know, rap song when, when, I was, <laughs> when I was a teenager. And, you know, you could, you could stand back and you can laugh and you could ha-ha, but, you know, where, where, is, where is the line? And, you know, and I think... 
you know, jumping off that, I, I mean, I had went to a, a, an arts festival in, in, in Brooklyn and um, and not that that Brooklyn has a lockdown on ghetto. It's just that it's just where I live. And so um, the, the examples are, are so abundant. But, you know, you had these kids um, dancing on stage and they were very young, very sexualized, dancing, gyrating. And us adults were, were cheering them on. If this is sort of the mainstream and this is this is sort of where where the bar is, then what does that mean when these kids grow up? And, you know, I spent a lot of times on street corners talking to teenagers for the for the book. And I asked them, you know, what is ghetto? And that was very easy for for kids to define. It was easier for them to define ghetto than it was success. Exactly. I asked them because then in the next breath, I would ask them, you know, what is success? And then that was much harder. And that should be a hard question because success should be different for each of us. But if our young people can't even define it for themselves, how do we expect them to get there? You know, what we can do on a very everyday level, what we can do as individuals is raise our expectations. One thing that you say is also so ghetto is blowing a single paycheck in one weekend or leasing a car that you would not be able to afford. It seems that these are things where we're living just for this specific day, that there is no exactly. tomorrow. Is this part of that? That's a very depressing, defeatist you know, part of the mindset that um, today is the most important because tomorrow, you know, may not happen or could be worse. And that is, you know, to have a whole generation driven by that, it's really sad. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Bodarki. My guest this morning is Cora Daniels. She's the author of Ghetto Nation, A Journey into the Land of Bling and the Home of the Shameless. Cora, you also write about parents, and there's one parent in particular that you write about in the book, Abigail Johnson, I believe her name was, and you were pretty shocked by her behavior after her son was involved with setting a fire that killed a man. Yeah, this was um, out in Far Rockaway. And uh, this was around Christmas time, and her son and his cousin were um, setting fires uh, because this was this was fun. <laughs> this was this was activity, uh, you know. During you know, school break, uh, they would light up the uh, the Christmas decorations outside people's doors in the building which which they lived in, and uh, a security guard in the building um, tried to contain one of these fires. It was in a shopping cart, and um, Pushed it onto a subway, uh, onto the um, to the elevator, uh, to to remove it from the the floor, and ended up burning to death in in the the elevator. Mrs. Johnson's uh, uh, reaction was that it was his fault, <laughs> that that he was how could he be so stupid to get onto an elevator with with a fire that her son had created, uh, and and to me the troublesome part of that is is that we're not taking any kind of responsibility anymore. I mean, where is the responsibility? I mean, this is a tragic situation. The, the, you had you had two teenage boys who are basically now have killed a man. So, you know, even if they're not serving jail time, they have they have all they have taken someone's life. You know, they've created actions that have taken someone's life. You have um, uh, a family who's now without a father because uh, the security guard who died, you know, had had a wife and, and children. You have a, a mother who's saying, you know, that her kids weren't that bad because they, quote, weren't in the system. 
Um, that was another one of her, her brilliant quotes that came out. And, and, and a community who was living in fear, who, who basically would not t- didn't want to talk to the press, didn't want to talk to people because they're like, yes, this is, this is how it is. The kids here are, are completely wild. That level of just lack of responsibility from all sides is, is inexcusable. On a much lesser scale, you talk about parents who curse at their kids on the street. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's 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 when we're talking about this mindset. I mean, this can happen in many different forms. So not all not all the things are are, are, are that extreme. Where where you know our kids are, are doing fake fake stick ups on, on the subway. But you know, there's 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 little things in terms of the language that we use around our children, or how we're talking to our children, or or the the music that we allow to be uh, played. Um, um, in front of our children, and 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 I can't sit here and act like I'm sitting up on a pedestal and I haven't contributed to this this as well. I mean, I struggle with this this as well every day. So I, you know, I I, I I'm a, I'm a member of quote you know the hip hop generation. This is the music that I've been been raised. With. So I've I've been in a car with my young daughter. You know, when I realized like oh my goodness, I shouldn't be listening to this with my daughter in the back seat, or or things have popped up on the TV where. Um, but I think that this is something that that we're all struggling with. I love that about the book, by the way, Cora. You're a journalist. Your work has appeared in the New York Times and Fortune magazine, among other outlets. And by most standards, most people would say, Cora, you are not ghetto. But throughout the book, you point out things about yourself that you say make you certainly ghetto. Right. I think I mean, I think it's important to I think it's much easier to sort of point our finger and nod at, at, at other folks and say, oh, they're so ghetto without sort of recognizing um, the ghetto in ourselves and, and our, in our own behavior. And when if we're really if we're really talking about something that that is mainstream and, and, and I do believe that this is our, our mainstream, that means that each of us I mean, very few of us are going to be living in a bubble above this. So each of us um, are, are battling to this um, to different degrees. I think that, you know, some people it's just easier to see see the symptoms. But that doesn't mean that we're all not sick. You go to the movies on Wednesdays and you hop <laughs> theaters and you bring in your own food. Yes. Yes, I do. I, I am. I am guilty. But movies cost 10 bucks. <laughs> and uh, yes. And so I, I have jumped. I have I have jumped screens. I've I've brought in sandwiches. <laughs> I've brought in. It's one of my one of my my ghetto um, moments. But as a responsible parent, you stop doing that, and you won't bring your daughter. Yes, yes. I mean that was it was a realization that that life does change. That that you that behavior should change um, once you have children um, or once you have responsibilities, and and that was a very. Um, I don't know if it was eye opening, but it was it was it was one of those moments when you realize you take a step back and you really examine yourself. It was, uh, you know, when I had to stop at one one movie on Wednesday. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. We'll get back to our conversation with Cora Daniels in just a moment. But first, we thought we'd hit the streets and get some perspective on the word ghetto. You may recall that Cora did the same thing in researching her book. And like her, we got some illuminating answers. Noel Santos uh, from Queens, originally from the Bronx. Ghetto? I mean, I hear a lot of music, really. Uh, in regular like, conversations now, I really don't hear it that much. Occasionally when uh, people talking about, I guess, rough parts of the neighborhood, the word comes up like, oh, he's from the ghetto because of where a certain per- person acts. Like, uh, doesn't have manners. They would say, oh, he's from the ghetto. He wasn't raised right or whatever, which it's a misconception. They tend to, everyone that comes from, they say, the ghetto, acts ghetto. 
and that's not totally true, you know? My name is Colleen McNamara, and I'm from Long Island, New York. Um, I hear a lot of upper-middle-class white kids using the word ghetto. Uh, they think it's like a really funny way to describe anything that's kind of like urban. It's so ghetto. I use the word ghetto all the time. Like if I get like a red spandex tank top and it, like, it's like really like kind of flavorful, I'm like, yo, this top's ghetto. It has nothing to do with race. It just has to do with poor. It has to do with the cheap version. I think language is up to people like to use what they want with it. Like I don't judge people for using the word ghetto. I can't stand liberals who jump on people for using words when they're just trying to express themselves. You know, a lot of people have lived in ghettos, white people, black people, Jewish people. So what's the big deal? James Aline from Brooklyn, New York. You know, they say where I live is the ghetto. I always say people feel what they don't understand if they don't understand the word because some people think of the word ghetto and they'll think of uh, black people. But it's not only black ghetto in Queens. You go to a ch little Chinatown out there, that's the ghetto. You know, Canal Street, that would be the ghetto. You know, anywhere, it could be any race, any creed, any color. It's like a... a you know, a small struggling class of, of uh, people trying to get by has to work and struggle every day to make ends meet. And, you know, it's not a rich cultural area. And um, I think that that's basically a ghetto area. My name is Salam Salam. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, but I most recently just moved up here to New York from New Orleans. I, I guess people, you know, people that have, that have been conditioned in a certain neighborhood where most of the resources are not there available to the people. There's no jobs in the community. Well, I'm from what you would consider the ghetto. <laughs> and, and most of the people that's from the ghetto are, are not trying to be in the ghetto. People are trying to get out and escape. That's nothing that's empowering about it. It's usually the, how should I say, the white kids from the suburbs that want to, uh, that want to start to glorify that stuff now or think it's hip or cool or something like that, and it gets glorified in Hollywood and being gangster and from the ghetto and all that stuff. But people I know want the hell out. There's nothing glamorous about it. My name is Lauren Pack, and I live in the East Village now, but I'm from D.C. I work with teenagers, so generally I encounter the word through them. I don't encounter the word through ghetto, through like my graduate studies or anything like that, unless I'm actually talking about a ghetto. Sometimes they're referring to a place, or sometimes they're referring to a thing. Like, oh, that's so ghetto. Like, that's not, you know, that's not what I would want it to be. It's not high, cla high class. It's not a bunch of different things. But is it referred to, like, a place that, say, like, the Italians in the 13th century, like, shut up Jews in? No. <laughs> New Yorkers sharing their thoughts on what it means to be ghetto. Now let's get back to our discussion with Cora Daniels. Her new book, Ghetto Nation, is out now from Doubleday. You write in the book that one of the most ghetto nights that you ever had was at a national awards dinner celebrating black authors. How was that ghetto? <laughs> There's a whole section of ghetto lit, basically, and these are books. A lot of them are self-published books that are being put out, and, and they are basically like sex and violence on the page without periods or comments. Basically, we're gravitating to our fiction that is is celebrating the, just like the most ugly, the, just the, the most violent, <laughs> the most sexual. And so, so this award ceremony was sort of dominated uh, because that type of that type of literature now is is so popular and such a money maker in many black bookstores and um, 
and and those are the those are the books that are getting deals much easier. That it dominated this award ceremony. Hip hop obviously often gets the blame for fueling the ghetto culture in our nation. Do you think that's fair? I can't sit here and be like, oh, you know, hip hop is above the fray. I think hip hop helped spread it. You know, I think that hip hop helped cross it over. I mean, hip hop doesn't have to be ghetto. It just sells when it is. And I think that the hip hop that has become the most popular, which is just a sliver of hip hop, but but that's what has become the most popular. It, there's no question that it that it's ghetto in terms of the the themes uh, that that it talks about, the language that it uses, uh, the, the the styles that that it, that it brings, and you know then we have to examine well why is that sliver of 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 this genre why did that become the most popular honestly i don't think that we can we can eliminate it it's not like you could destroy it there, there's always going to be a piece there's always going to be a slice of society what's happened now is we have no balance it's taken over you went to a movie perhaps on a wednesday i don't <laughs> know to see keanu reeves in hardball, hardball and you heard a song in that movie that really disturbed you yeah this was um Biggie's song, um, the hook of that song, and this this song was a few years old when when the movie came out. But the the hook of that song is, um, I should see some ladies tonight who should be having my baby, baby. baby I'm not gonna, I can't rap, so I. But um, and it was, you know, Hardball was like a like a PG movie. You know, it was about um, a, a baseball team in the Cabrini Green projects. It was based on a true story. Who you know, of course, of any kind of uplifting sports, bad news bears type of movie. You know, they they win the game at the end. You know, that's that's the sorry sorry to blow the ending for you guys, but that's that's the the arc of the story. And you know, one of the one of the, the the kids on the team is of course this brilliant pitcher, but he only can pitch when he hears this song in a continuous loop in his head. So this this Biggie song is piped in throughout the entire movie. It's like the rallying cry of the movie. You gotta cool up in your waist, please don't shoot up the place. Wow. Cause I see some ladies tonight that should be having my baby. Baby. Oh. Check it out. To me, it was like Puff Daddy. Is anyone listening to these words? Is this what we should be celebrating? Um that this this basically this ultimate player chant chant of basically going to a club and looking around and and picking out all your baby mamas. I mean, that's basically what he's talking about. I mean, the, the line before that what is, is is talking about, you know, how, you know, how he has a has a, a gun in his his waist and he's not going to shoot up the place. I mean, this is this is not something that I think should be overlapped over a PG movie. <laughs> you use the term baby mama a lot in mm-hmm. your book. These are women who simply produce children. The father may not be in the picture. They may have children with several different men. This is the slang that's that's used to describe the mother of, of children, um, and 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 basically the, it's implied that that the couple is no longer together. Um, if the couple, I mean, and that's what's what that's what's disturbing about it um, that the, the commitment isn't there. I mean, not everyone is not everyone is going to walk down the aisle and get married. I mean, that, that's it's 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 unrealistic to sort of think that, and, it, and it's dangerous to kind of push push relationships that aren't at that level to the but. To have a child, I mean, that is should be um, a, a, a permanent commitment for life I mean, because this is your child for life. And so when we think of the language that's now used, um, that, that baby mama has become something that rolls off people's tongues in so many communities, it is, is showing how unserious we're taking that role 
because I mean, just think of, and and this is this is the writer in me, but just think how different it is to say, you know, oh, that's my baby's mama, or that's the mother of my child, or that's that's Maya's mother, or that's Cora, Maya's mother. I mean, those are those are very different ways to say the same thing, and and the the way that that a lot of us are choosing is is the baby mama, which is the most disrespectful of of those of those ways. You're wearing your wedding ring today, Cora, <laughs> and you write that you started to realize just how far the ghetto mindset has spread mm-hmm. when you started to wear that wedding ring after you first got married. Yes, I <laughs> uh, apparently I became the most desirable woman in the neighborhood. Uh, it's uh, um, uh, I would get asked out a lot. Um, uh, I, I do. I get asked out a lot. As soon as I started wearing a wedding ring, I get asked out a lot by single and married men. <laughs> um, it became, you know, at first I kind of thought like, oh well, maybe this is this is the challenge factor, and and you know, and and men like this challenge, and and you know, and after trying to step back and examine, it, I think it, I think that there is that aspect, the, the challenge factor, which is is ghetto, and and, and then the, the other ghetto part of it also is that folks. Are looking aren't looking for that that kind of commitment. I mean, if you if you hook up with someone who's already committed to somebody else, I mean that, that you're already putting yourself in a, in a part time situation. You are already uh, uh, your your level of commitment is 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 already less, and that and and for some that's that is that's desirable. That they they sort of don't want the 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 work of a a mature real relationship. And to, to me, the most ghetto part of that whole scenario is that that's people's choice. You once tried to explain this to a man that tried to pick <laughs> you up on a subway. First of all, he was completely surprised that I was married. That that was that was like like he like he had just witnessed a Martian or something. <laughs> the the concept of of someone uh, of a young woman, you know, approximately his age, um, could have made that lasting commitment was just so foreign in his world. Um, and, and his response to that was like, well, I could have a child. You know, I could have a baby, but I don't think I could ever get married. And to me, that was way more scary than, 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 getting, than getting married. There's a lot of talk today, Cora, about test scores and high school graduation rates. How do you think this ghettoization of American culture is impacting education? I think it's it's impacting our, our our expectations and and what the standards that that we place. I mean, when I was hanging out with um with high with high school students um you know outside of schools, I, one of the the common things that they they would ask when it was report card day was, "Did you pass? Did you pass? Did you pass? Did you pass?" And, and it's it sounds like something little, but but you know, did you pass? I mean that. That that should be the minimum, you know. I would hope that you pass, <laughs> you know. It, you know, I would rather say, oh, did you get an A or did you get a B or what did you get? <laughs> That's a very different question than did you pass, <laughs> and that was sort of the the standard, uh, and and you know that's that's. That's on a, 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 a like a small level. That's that's sort of the, the standards, you know, amongst the students. But you know, you have to think about the the expectations of the adults in their world and the teachers in their world and our schools. You went to Brooklyn Tech, yes, which is an esteemed school in New York City, <laughs> and people were shocked to find out that there was an act of vandalism, and they didn't think that someone from your school would have done it. It had to be from the other school. Exactly, exactly. This was uh, this was back when I was in high school in the eighties, and um, you know there was it was it was a it was a big deal in high school. There was a um, a big graffiti 
uh, markings outside on the street, and it was it was all the school was all hush. We we basically we got let out of the building early. We got filed out, and it was it was just assumed that of course this this wasn't our good school. These weren't our good kids. That this was um, this was boys and girls high school. Which you know when I was. Um, when I was in school, boys and girls was the was the high school of of that we were all of the rough and tumble kids that we were all uh, scared of, and uh, you know at the end of the day, the reality, the truth to that was that this um, gang signature outside the school came from our own students, um, and that the, the 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 gang in question that day, um, the Decepticons, which um, doesn't exist anymore. Um, was was a gang in the eighties that was started by honor students at Brooklyn Tech, <laughs> and the way it started is quite amusing but very sad. <laughs> yeah, they were on a walkathon, a March of Dimes walkathon, <laughs> and were basically bored and said, "Oh, let's start grabbing chains, <laughs> let's start robbing folks," and hence a gang is born. Um, and it, so, yes, looking back, we can. You, you, you sometimes you have to laugh at, at the insanity of, of things. But, you know, I tried to bring in examples like this to show that it's not always who you expect. And to me, it's more important that we try to recognize, recognize this behavior and recognize the mindset wherever it shows up, even if it's in our own backyards, because that is how we start to turn it around. And as you point out in the book, some things are okay. You're not hurting anybody else by drinking Kool-Aid from a big mayonnaise jar. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just my dad did. That's where I got that example. I mean, you know, and and not everything is going to be the, the detriment to all of mankind. <laughs> but, you know, every, every choice we make has repercussions. Cora Daniels, your book is Ghetto Nation, A Journey into the Land of Bling and the Home of the Shameless. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Cora Daniels' book, Ghetto Nation, is published by Doubleday. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. My thanks to producer Jody Avergan. As always, you can learn how to podcast Cityscape and find archives of the program at WFUV.org. I'm George Bodarki. Have a great weekend.